I'm always jealous of your hair, Jim. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> I'm jealous of Barcelona, man. It looks like the sun sneaking in the uh, the door there. There's only darkness. <laughs> oh no no no! This is uh, actually it's pretty uh, pretty ingenious uh, because this is like an inside room, so it looks like, uh, but it's just a bright light. Um, right. It's, not, it's the same darkness. We're you know I mean we're we're an hour ahead. This whole like time change here, but not in US, uh, just completely it's... thrown me off. I I don't know. <laughs> You're out but, of step. Uh, You're out of step. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, it is what it is. Just a cra crazy, crazy ass week. Uh, we, I don't know if you've, if you've seen, we're pumping. Um, started like, oh, let's do a webinar for health coaches. Next thing you know, we're putting on like a global health and well being coaching symposium with speakers, and we're not even an event company, right? <laughs> like, um, right, right, right. so it's been uh, it's been a crazy uh, thing, but it is what it is. I, I'm I'm definitely ready for a drink. Uh, that's for sure. So yeah, yeah, I'm thinking tonight. I don't usually. I'm kind of joining you here tonight. I got a, a Chardonnay. <laughs> oh, okay. So this uh, Francesca turned me on to this. Um, what is it? Uh, um, some vermouth. Ah, very Francesca. I'm going to get this. But, um, so, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I think I might have mentioned it on there. I saw something, just Demasa and uh, our friend Bolty Boy, they talked about like in the book club. So I got this on right. healthcare. I think I talked about it last time. So I just picked it up and not maybe last time, but a few, I just picked up right. so Hemant Taneha, Stephen Clasco from Jefferson. Um, right. And uh, I started reading it uh, like a few days back, just it was by my nightstand. And then next right. thing I see, there's a new Spock formed by, you know, these guys. And the Spock oh. is formed uh, exactly by Hemant, but also Glenn Tolman uh, and Jeff Snyder. Yeah, that just I just I just saw that today. That came out, you know, five hundred million raise, kind of a who's who, you know, to do digital health acquisitions. Amazing. I know amazing. it's it's absolutely amazing, and um, you know, I'm hoping that in in the next few episodes we're gonna have somebody who can actually tell us what this thing vehicle is. So, right, but, right. Um, this whole this whole SPAC thing is really making the making the rounds. You know, it's it's. Definitely get my mind turned. I, I I thought like when I first heard the term, I thought it was like Spock from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's amazing how in it, it's such you know reputable top people like Glenn Tolman and this you know the other group and I think some of the it was I saw there was a, one of the presidents from Malongo and um, that's right you're getting involved and big and big firms are backing them serious money is going in. And is this the first, I think this is the first digital health. I'm sure it'll be on Bolty Boys and Jess's. Um, They've already uh, discussed it. So I'm kind of copying them a little bit. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a it, few, there's it. a few others. Uh, but again, uh, we'll, we'll actually let, you know, uh, them do best what they do. Um, and yep. the, the right. next guest, I know you haven't met him. Um, and I, I met him years ago at XMED, uh, you know, the, the exponential medicine event. This was the good old days of traveling. Okay. And it's funny because I'm just looking up um, like his bio because I don't think I've ever read it, but I think I'm going to have to read this one. So hold on one second. I'm just, uh, I, I love the bio I put together. Give, give me a pronunciation so, of his name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, you know what? Let, let's save it. Let's let him in um, and let's save it. And then, um, and it's going to be Gautam Gulati who's going to join us. So um, Excellent. There he, he's coming on. He's coming on. I hope with That's video good, and good. a drink. 
I hope he has that scarf. Yeah, hey guys, I can't hear you if you guys are talking. Yes, we are. Uh, we are talking. Can you hear can us hear. now? <laughs> I can't hear your audio. That's okay, weird. We're hearing each other. We, yep. Okay. Sorry, yeah, so as, yep. Wow, this is the first time this happened. Season three. <laughs> <laughs> Log in. Why don't you, I'll, I'll tic-tac with him. Why don't you read his bio? Yeah. So I will. All right. Um, yeah. I, hey, you know what? Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Can yeah, you hear us? We can hear you. I can hear you guys now. This little sucker is not working for some reason. So okay. Oh, okay, this great. Is, this is why you need like a big sucker like me, you know. Like... <laughs> well, I was trying to give you guys some good sound. This thing works usually, but I but I just got a new MacBook Pro, and I must not have yeah. uh, installed the drivers for it or anything. But hey, we can just go like this. I'm good. You can hear yeah, me. Yeah, okay. so we we can. And Gautam. So first of all, meet Jim. Jim meet Gautam. And yeah, I. How are you, Jim? How how I, have we never met before? This is a bit crazy. I know. I was just, I actually, I just spent the last, um, you know, I came home, I listened to a Ted talk that you did in 2012 or something, right? Is that, is oh, that what goodness. I would do? I definitely got it. Yeah. I listened to it. And I just, so I know about your grandfather and your, <laughs> your father and um, setting up, you know, these clinics to, to help people in your own medical career. So anyway, so I, I know, I feel like I've met you now at this stage, but go ahead. <laughs> but you but can intro you properly. That brought back some good flashback memories. You know, it's funny. They always <laughs> say when you do a TED Talk, always think of a specific audience in mind. And what I had right. from a specific audience there wasn't a health audience or the TED audience. That audience from my talk that I delivered was for my yeah. kids. Oh, wow. Lovely. And that's kind Did of why get... I got a little touched up at the end there is because... Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that. Day, you, got a little, you got a little teary-eyed. Yeah, because you know what? They, they're going to grow up never knowing the lineage of service from our family. And the one video that will live on forever is when you give a TED Talk. And I felt like this was my opportunity to speak directly to my... my at that time, I think my kids were like four, maybe three. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so this is when they grow up, they'll see that talk and they'll get to know sort of the history and the lineage of how we got into healthcare. So, yeah, so well, Eugene and I are very, very modern men. We're social, we're emotional softies, you know, we're... we're... <laughs> so I was just, before we let you in, uh, I'm drinking some local vermouth. So cheers to nice. everyone. Cheers. Um, that looks like, you like know, Jim, that looks like the glass in your, uh, in your logo, in the, uh, mm. the, 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 the shot I was, of... I, I was thinking about it. I have a little kind of silver ball. Uh, nice, you brilliant. can just see the lime on the edge. <laughs> So Gautam, I have never in in now in three seasons, uh, we're on in the third season, have read an actual bio, but I'm just so fascinated uh, by yours, like the little brief. I'm going to actually read it. Okay. And then you fill in the blanks. So first of all, I love how (laughs) how you say pronunciation, because I like the ga thumb. Galati. So that's that's one thing. But anyway, Dr. G is a polymath doctor who has built his reputation as a pioneering health innovation executive and advisor for several world-renowned organizations. He now spends his time as a storyteller, delivering keynote talks around the world, building out a new age media company, and taking a stab at a forthcoming book exploring the intersection of innovation and creativity. He has been a vocal advocate for using story as medicine and is re-exploring his childhood passion for spoken word poetry. 
His most recent claim to fame is being dubbed the Rick Rubin of podcasts. Well, I'm the Joe Rogan and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, listen, I, I think the idea, because you, you have to remember uh, that we're fundamentally unproduced. So we actually have to read the, the bio on the show to make sure we've read it. <laughs> no, that, that, I mean, that's, I, we, we could have summarized it, but it just, I think it was more fun. Am, am I hired as your agent to like read done. your bio? <laughs> done. I'm just going to, you're just going to go on tour with me. That's it. Yeah. Your only job. He's got the radio voice. But we got to we got to get you more animated on it. So uh, you know, but talk talk to us like about like your well. Sorry, Eugene, I'm going to take you when I even ask something first. Go ahead. No, it, no. It, like, like storytelling and healthcare, right? Like so, storytelling and healthcare. Um, is there kind of a you know you talk about your lineage, your grandfather from? I'm not sure where part of India he was from, but he talked about setting up clinics during the Pakistani Indian divide. So was storytelling part of Indian healthcare? Is that fundamental to it? Or are they as rushed as the rest of the clinicians? No, I, I, I mean, I don't think it was specifically part of Indian healthcare per se. I think it's just part of healthcare um, at, hmm. its, at its core. I mean, if you if you strip down healthcare to its bare bones, it's it's literally, you know, 90% of our diagnoses can, can, can simply come from a conversation between a doctor and a patient. You know, that 10, right. 20, 30% that we spend on diagnostics and testing is therefore mostly supportive and confirmation of what we already deem to be the diagnosis and what the prognosis or treatment should be. So if you have, the, unfortunately, in, in today's world and, and sort of this dichotomy of, of the benefits and the pros and cons of technology is we're stripping away the time required for that in-depth conversation. But at the end of the day, if I'm a doctor, you come in, well, I'm a doctor, but if you come in and and, and, and are a patient of mine, um, if I were to sit there and ask the right questions and more importantly, listen to what you're telling me, you're going to give me the story of, of, of your illness. And what's even more important is I got really inspired by, there's this poster of, have you guys heard of Tim Urban? No. He writes I this haven't. blog, he writes this really famous blog called Wait But Why. And if you ever get a chance, go check it out. But he has this, this poster that he's created and he talks about, um, sort of uh, life um, in weeks. And every box on the poster is a week of your life all the way to a nine year life. And I right. looked at that poster and I was like, well, first of all, it was depressing. Cause I was like, holy shit, like how much little time I have left based on it if I fill in every box. <laughs> and how does, that, how does that picture change during COVID where everything is like, I don't even know if it's compressed or expanded or- I have yeah, no idea. Like we just did, we oh. did three seasons. We did three seasons and, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I said the word, <laughs> I, I said the word. Uh, but sorry, I took, I, I took you off the off the track uh, as far as squeezing. He's going to get it. He's going to get it. No, but let me. Well, while he's getting that, let me. Oh, and I can't get yep. to the poster. It makes shit. The poster. Oh yeah, it's like a, it's like that. It's like a graph paper, but every one of those little boxes is like a, a week of your life. And so when I looked at that, I said, "Listen, healthcare. The way we innovate in healthcare is is around little points in time over our life, right? It's point of that's why we call it point of care, and and we tend to create innovations around points in time, and that will be heavy weighted towards when you're young and first born and your younger years, and then you get sporadic check-ins. Then the middle of your life, you tend to have a little bit more check-ins and frequent check-ins, and at the end of your life, you have a lot of check-ins. But in between that is basically missed opportunity for health. And so what I always like to say is that health is not a point in time, but a story over time. And if you spend enough time with the patient and listen to their story, you can actually heal uh, much better than any form of medication can. 
Um, and it's sort of related to one of my, my, my favorite quotes from William um, Osler Williams, uh, or Sir William uh, Osler, He's, he said, um, the role of the doctor is to occupy the patient long enough until the patient heals themselves. Yep. Right, right, right. I, you know, I heard some, like my, um, what was it? Uh, my father-in-law, who was a fantastic uh, pediatric consultant out of Italy, and he used to talk to us and he would say to us when we had our first kids that the, that the parent was the primary doctor, that the parent was the primary clinician. And, and, and the reason the parent was the primary clinician was because the child couldn't speak yet. And so the parent had to tell the child story. That's how he used to think about it. Yeah. That they had to tell the story of the child. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, th think about, you know, uh, you, you mentioned story is medicine, right? Uh, but food is medicine, right? So, and it's the yeah. parents that set the example for the kids, right? You know, what's, what's eaten in the house? Uh, uh, do you read the stories at night to kids or you leave them alone, right? Like, so yeah. a lot of that is still tied. And, and to your point, like a lot of the common sense Right. Um, and backed up by by diagnostics and tools and things that the docs just now are entrenched but, in. Yeah, but the, the challenge. So the challenge to that, right, like they talk about this, like, OK, all the data coming flowing in and that might, you know, replace potentially replace in-person interactions. But the you know, the data is a story. Right. Like so like when I think like with, so it, with, with my company, with my product, Health Beacon, just the time at night that a patient records when they took their injection, you know, through our device. So just that time at night. And, and I have to do it for a family member. It tells a huge story. So for example, um, it's after dinner, uh, you know, the way my wife might dispose of the injection versus I would, you know, for a child, it, you know, might be differently. So it tells us like the story, you know, when we go on vacation, you know, it doesn't go into the box anymore. And, you know, it's recorded somewhere else. So this like little story, that if, or if you walk through someone's house and you look at their house, there's a story in their house. There's kind of stories everywhere, right? Can, yeah, can, I, sure. can I tell a bad story? We don't focus. Yeah, bad story, please. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to quantify that. Sorry, what was that, the backstory? No, I just remember you, you know, as we're talking about the stories, I remember when I was living in Amsterdam, I remember when going to like a quantified self meetup, you know, this was back in the day. Right. And there was one, one guy was presenting the story of his poop. And this is like to track... Kind of his gut health right so i right. mean it was literally he brought in like printed posters of daily and i think even three times a day poop and comparing colors and how he felt yeah. as far as the gut so and it and it told right. the story i don't remember what the story was but <laughs> right, right. Well, they, say, they say a picture tells a thousand words so i guess uh <laughs> right right that's the same thing Certainly, certainly. So, so Gautam, I, you know, I remember, you know, back when we met at XMED, uh, when, you know, conferencing was a thing actually in person, um, and you sort of like, you know, planted some seeds around, uh, Jim and I joke around, we have a partnership with Spotify and Amazon and we just post, but you actually literally have a partnership with Spotify and um, I, I love the curation of it. I got to listen, I guess this was maybe a month and a half ago-ish or whatever, to just like a little sample. And I was just enamored. So maybe, uh, you know, A, take us through, like, I, I know you're a storyteller, but like, how did you get to this and why and why Spotify and et cetera? Yeah. So, I mean, we went through, so what you're referring to is sort of a new media company called Well Played, which... Um, actually stemmed from a challenge from Spotify directly. So one of the executives over at Spotify, who was recently at that time over at Spotify, and this is before they announced going into podcasts, 
Um, so it was some time ago, approached uh, Jordan Schlein and myself and, and um, basically said, hey, you guys are, are um, interesting guys. You're well-connected, you're creative, you understand healthcare, you're both doctors. Um, uh, what if we were to put a challenge in front of you? And that was to uh, think about what a health and wellness media channel would look like in the context of Spotify. Um, and nothing more than that. And so we were sort of taken aback a little bit. And, you know, I had, I had produced my own podcast. I had a podcast back in 2015, 2016 called That's Unusual. So I've gone through the whole thing. I've done, you know, I understand the production element of things. I understand where it's been uh, in the past, where it's going somewhat in the future, whatever we can predict. But um, we didn't know, we'd never looked at it from a market opportunity standpoint. And what Jordan and I quickly discovered was uh, the voice of healthcare was very much outdated. Right. If you try to look up like who really owns the younger voice of healthcare that's with, with a shifting environment, meaning like sort of, I don't want to say that millennial generation, but let's say, you know, sub 50, sub 55 uh, population, right? Anything before that, you know, we're still referring to things like WebMD, Medscape, uh, you right. know, Discovery Health Channel, um, you know, things like that. You know, maybe Food Network has been a little bit more. Um, you know, afford thinking and some of their programming, but even still, not the health angle of it or the well-being angle. It's more of the entertainment. Right. Piece. I don't know. I get my news on TikTok, health news, <laughs> TikTok all the way. What could, what could go wrong like there? <laughs> yeah, like I'm all Joe Rogan. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's um, you know, so we came back and uh, we we saw an opportunity, and um, you know, they started introducing us to uh, a lot of you know the celebrities within the Spotify network. Uh, but we quickly learned work, working, you know, and, and waiting for celebrities is, is a lose situation. So, um, you know, we ended up developing our own original content. So we like to think of ourselves as kind of like the HBO of podcasts, uh, where we're not trying to be a network play. I know you guys just recently had Dan, Dan Kendall, who's doing a phenomenal job with, with your show and the entire um, health podcast network, which is fantastic. Um, so we're different. We're strictly focusing on original plays uh, that are. And what's the name again? Sorry, what was the name again? So, so it's called Well Played, um, and you can well find played. it at wellplayed.health. Okay, great. And Dude, I was, I was about, yeah. I was just checking it out. I like as far as your advisors. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I kind of figured uh, Daniel Kraft, uh, but like Jack, you know, uh, Kreindler, um, Rasu, Shafi. Uh, I see Mark Hyman, um, John Brownstein. Uh, Ricardo Sabatini. I haven't spoken to him in a while. Um, Parker. I mean, amazing, amazing crew of advisors, like amazing. Yeah. I mean, they've been, they've been very supportive from the very beginning. I mean, now we're sort of tapping into a set of advisors, a part of the art for good program patch, um, which is uh, mostly focusing on some of the non-healthcare, but creative elements of things. So looking at, um, you know, how to do sound production and sound engineering and musical scores and um, and, and effective storytelling from film producers. Um, so we're tapping into that angle of advisors right now, but these guys have been extremely supportive in terms of um, the, the network at play in terms of uh, Well Played. Um, but we're, we're about to release our first original show called Superhumans. Um, and we're okay. targeting, yeah, we're targeting uh, a release before the end of the year. And, and the, can you talk about the concept? What's a superhuman? Yeah, so superhumans, I mean, very simply stated is, um, it's a, a, a storytelling podcast where we believe that story can serve a, as a form of healing or as a form of medicine. Um, and so uh, what we do is we've got our own signature methodology in terms of how we capture story. So we'll tend to, um, they're not interview-based podcasts. 
Um, right. Think of it as a um, authentic first-person storytelling as like the moth, if you're familiar with the moth. Um, okay. The moth meets Ted, where it's highly produced in terms of the sound quality and the engineering around it. Um, it's kind of like a Reed, the Reed Hoffman, what's the Reed Hoffman one that he's doing? Master That's kind scale. of yeah, mass, is it kind of that or not that? No, I mean, this is this is more about like, for, I'll give you some examples of our first season, right? So we have uh, someone like Mark Brand, who's our, our, our opening pilot episode. Um, you know, he was, he runs sort of a culinary um, empire out of uh, Vancouver in Canada. And okay. his entire mission is essentially to create, create upward mobility against those who are incarcerated, those who have, you know, been in jail or those who are homeless or those who have an addiction. And he only hires those individuals um, to create upward mobility within his restaurants. Lovely. Um, but he himself was homeless and struggling with addiction. And so what we do is we zoom in into sort of a micro story. And he tells this very specific story about his struggle uh, with addiction when he was at going through Stanford. Um, and it's very, wow. very powerful. Um, we have another one where uh, someone- Jim, I Sorry, I listened to like less than three minutes of it. And I was like, when is all this coming out? I was like, immediately like addicted. And I, really? I like your comparison of like the moth where it's like, a, a story is really told, right? Um, right. And yeah, and we, we've got a signature methodology to get our storytellers in sort of a flow state. We go through this whole regimen, we actually spend about anywhere between three and five hours with them. Um, so it's wow. a big commitment, but the shows are only between 15 and 30 minutes long. So okay. how we sort of condense that down. But um, other examples that? That we have. Before you uh, go on to the other examples, I'm sorry. How the hell do you do that? Because like, if you even ask me to do it from our 35, 40 minute, I'll be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess I summarized <laughs> like a couple of points, but like from hours and hours of just amazing people talking to you, like nailing it down right. to 15 minutes. I yeah. Crazy. Yeah, we have a process, um, and what we what we sort of a series of what we call imperfect drafts, um, and the imperfect drafts is generally start with a raw file, and then what we do is we break them out. and I'm sorry we're giving our methodology a little bit, but it's hard to replicate. But um, you take the raw the raw audio content, and then you break them up into clusters, um, okay. and then you start looking for signs of flow state, depending on where we think that there's a universal truth that can then, our audience can then relate to. So we're always looking for that universal truth um, that regardless of whether he was about, whether he was addicted to, to alcohol, um, even though I've never been addicted to alcohol, there's still a universal truth that I can relate to, for example. And then we right. go through a series of steps. We take it from clusters into identifying what the narrative story arc is. Uh, right. Then we sort of mixtape it and break it down even, even smaller. Then once we do that, uh, we do some micro edits um, around specific phrases of extraneous content that we want to bring in that we that are supportive of the story. Like sometimes there's a comment made two hours later that we think is relevant here and we'll bring that back in. Um, then we do what we call a punctuation round. And the punctuation round is uh, being very specific to the, um, not just the ums, ahs, things like that, which are actually we keep in, in, in a lot of our shows, but more about spacing, right? So if you're writing, for example, a book, you put periods, commas, semicolons. So we like to think of that from an audio engineering standpoint um, you know, silence actually is very powerful. And so we right. use silence very intentionally in terms of our, uh, uh, in terms of our audio engineering. Then we go into sound and we start baking in, we have uh, original music scores that we partner with um, from musical composers uh, that we're putting behind every episode. And eventually we're hoping to partner, for example, with um, the Juilliard School of Music and, and um, 
uh, you know, incorporate, for example, uh, you know, uh, musicians who um, have disabilities um, and help yeah. them, for example. So there's a process, and then and then so basically, uh, I'm I'm sorry, basically like you, my, mine and yours, Jim. It's it's pretty much mirrors our process. <laughs> it is it is yeah, yeah it's kind it of a process. Like, it is overly I, produced. Yeah, like I I stay sober until seven, <laughs> then I uh, have a drink with Eugene, but. But okay, so wait, wait, I know what you do. So, so are you like a, so you use in your podcast that I was listening to this health artist, right? The health artist. I love this, this idea. Do you still use that? I do not. Um, but I, I, I probably should. I still think of myself as kind of a health artist. Because I, I, I think of that because I, when you said that actually to me earlier through your TED talk, I was like, oh, that's what I am. I'm a health artist. I think Eugene's a health artist. So, so you know, we, we come at it from, like I've been in healthcare forever and I've created companies and I've sat there and implemented programs for governments and insurance companies and, you know, anything, you know, I've given it a go, <laughs> I've given it a go. And, um, but, you know, when I walk into there, when I walk in the room and I have a room of clinicians and I have a room of nurses and I have, you know, maybe some product designers and I bring it together and they're all confused and they don't know where to go. You know, I'm like that, like kind of, you know, like on the show and like they're redoing the house for a thousand bucks or something. You know? I, I <laughs> like, just, how do you put the stuff here? <laughs> I just love that you promoted me to a health artist. Thank you. I, I feel honored I think now. You're a health, so. Yeah, like, no, because, because that's what it is. And, and it's funny, I get stood down by all the time by, you know, the classic clinician. And then, it, you know, until I got to a certain age, you know, where, you know, in, in the, I, cl probably I count clinicians within the Irish community as my best friends. And, and they love because we talk on a peer level. And a lot of people don't talk on peer levels with very influential clinicians. So, so because they kind of want what, what I have, and obviously I want the, their expertise and their knowledge of what's happening. So it's, like, it's an even exchange a little bit, you know, it's an even exchange of, of but I never knew it. Now I know it's a health artist. You, you, are, a health art. you are a true health artist. The, the challenge with it is that people have a hard time grasping that word artist, right? They're like, oh, well, right. You know, first of all, artistry is all experimental and healthcare is nothing but, right? Like, it's, it's uh, you know, it's supposed to be grounded in evidence and science, but at the end of the day, we call it a practice for a reason, right? I mean, a lot of what we do is, you know, what we believe right. to be true today, you know, changes its truth down the road um, as a result for more, more research or more science. Um, you know, from my standpoint, it, you know, the way we define innovation, and I've spent my career um, uh, doing innovation um, work, is, is innovation is very simply the art of uh, making things better by making better things. That's it. Innovation is the art of making things better by making better things. And it truly is. An, I mean, that can be a, a, a massive topic, right? Through behavior, technology, through business right. model processes. I mean, it really is an art form and how you craft right. it all together to make something of value. Did, Mil right. did Millen take parts of that? And because I've been using quoting Millen on, you know, uh, like cl clarity of innovation. So he says it's like, do things better or do better things. And, you know, the reality is you need both, right? But like looking at innovation and corporations is, you know, people trying to optimize the process, right? Or create new processes and, and products. So right. I, I think he took some of that from you, Gautam. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna- No, I mean, that's great. No, it's not, I mean, it's not- I'm, I'm kidding, you know, I'm, I'm kidding. not the only person thinking about this, I'm so- But, but you, so you also what... talked about- you talked about kind of medical schools kind of engineering out of out creativity, right? Like kind of like, or something, you had some kind of comment oh, like that. Uh, well, I mean, I think it's better <laughs> now. I mean, when I went to med school, 
it was, I mean, it sucked out every ounce of creativity from me. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was such a creative guy going into it. I used to do slam poetry. I would sneak out on Wednesday nights in DC and go to this place called Black Cat. And I never tell my friends because I was embarrassed, but I was, I was a creative writing major in college um, and an English lit major and with a, with a concentration in poetry. And, right. um, you know, when you're, when you're pre-med, um, that's not something you really talk about back in the mid-90s, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, you know, I'd be the guy who literally would be in my breaks writing poetry, um, slam poetry and going up on stage and performing and, and competing um, on stage right. with that. But also I'd have like a, you know, the industry standard magazine tucked away in my, my biochemistry book. Um, right. Because I was embarrassed because, you know, the healthcare and business just was not something talked about together at that time. You were actually writing on little notes inside those books, your innovation book, which actually I'd like to loop back in because I love how you defined it. Um, and what are you actually writing a book on? Yeah, so um, there's a couple of working titles for the book, but the premise of it is essentially how to think like an, like an innovator. Um, and how to cultivate better ideas. Um, so this notion, I'm sort of going against the grain um, of this, the conventional thinking of um, it's not the idea that matters, um, it's the execution that matters, right? We've heard that probably over and over again. Okay. Um, but the reality is, is executing on a bad idea is a bad idea itself. And right. most organizations, <laughs> right? I mean, most organizations yeah. just aren't trained to come up with good ideas. And every single right. meeting that you're in, Right, you're going into a meeting for one of two reasons. Either it's to share information with your teams or to get information, or it's to solve a problem. And if you're solving a problem, it's all about ideation. And so when I, if, I were, if I'm a leader and I go into the room and I'm basically saying, all right, we're gonna have to solve this problem. I'm basically confined to whatever ideas are generated by the people around that table. The false assumption that I have running is that these people know how to come up with good ideas. Right. Right. That's, that is completely false. And yeah, so the bullshit. book is essentially designed <laughs> to give people the techniques of, of being able to cultivate better ideas for the organization and then apply that to innovation practices. So, right. you know, I mean, I just, it, it seems like already a couple of years, which is great. Um, exited out of a big company and, you know, there's idea management, which I was never a believer on. Um, and there's open innovation, which then absolutely most of the ideas, not necessarily all, but come outside of the four walls and then bring that in. So where, where do you kind of stand on, you know, idea management, open innovation? Is there something between like, and without giving away your book, which I, no, I like to think of the book as the prequel to um, the prequel to like the tipping point or the prequel to, um, wow, there's, I mean, I'm just looking at my books over up here. Um, it's, it's before you start executing an idea. What do you do before you start executing an idea, right? Open innovation is a process um, in terms of how do you essentially um, collaborate, uh, open, openly collaborate to come up with uh, the best ideas possible. So this is not, you know, trying to say that, you know, there's one innovation practice better than the other. No. Um, this is about, this is about saying, I mean, I can, I can sort of walk you through some of the steps. I don't have a name for the framework yet. Um, but, but at the end of the day, it's, let's, let's, br uh, let's brainstorm ideas around the name for the, for the framework. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's based on, it's based on the concept of um, deliberate practice. So you guys familiar with Anders Ericsson? Yeah. yeah. 
So Anders Ericsson came up with the, or, or sort of coined the terminology of deliberate practice. It was used by Malcolm Gladwell. You know, he took one piece of it and talked about 10,000 hour rule. Um, my framework is built around the process of what I call deliberate creativity. Um, and it's basically the antithesis of uh, not leaving your ideas to chance, but being deliberate around the process of how you actually generate an idea. And I walk through techniques and practices that I specifically use, and I had my team specifically use, and what I've advised other organizations to use um, to generate some of the best ideas for their clients or for themselves. Um, and sort of it's, it's, it's this iterative process um, to, to eventually come out with, um, you know, elevating your idea from, from when you first conceived it to something that comes out better. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't touch the execution piece of it. There's plenty written about that. I think of the ideas like, I'm, like, you know, like Eugene, like I'm constantly, you know, within my own organization, advancing concepts, advancing concepts. And I actually think like when I think about bringing a new concept to the world or hearing someone else's concept and realizing that they maybe just got something or that it's worth a further thought or worth a further exploration. Yeah. And um, I immediately go into kind of like a patriarchal mode. Like I must go into like a protect it because I know, you know, that as soon as something comes in, it's kind of hostile almost immediately. Like it's like a new idea, it's like almost like the environment. So like I'm immediately checking like who could kill this idea. It's like a young baby, you know, like, like who, who's going to like, I have to protect this now. That's a good idea because the ideas, the, some of the best ideas get killed immediately. You know, they're immediately killed. And, and, but they're not formed. You can't articulate them. You can't communicate them. It's not obvious to everyone in the room. Maybe it wasn't so well explained. Maybe it was a half an idea, you know, like, so you, so I immediately move in. Okay, that's good. Okay, you know, let's, and I go into a kind of a protection mode. I'm like, okay, let's bring it out of the room now. Like I get it, run it out of the room. <laughs> like leave, yeah, look, leave the room with the idea. You mentioned the half-baked <laughs> idea. I mean, this is essentially what it is, taking a half-baked idea and make it a fully-fledged, fully-baked idea, right? So, I mean, right. you guys are probably, I mean, Eugene, especially you, you've probably been in a workshop scenario where, I mean, I've been called in to facilitate and moderate a number of workshops for a number of large um, life sciences companies. And for the most part, they're complete failures. Um, I mean, they're, they're designed to essentially um, create the perception of taking action around solving a problem utilizing collective leadership. Um, right. And I've rarely seen any, I mean, some, I, I, there are exceptions, but I've rarely seen anything significant coming out of those workshop retreats. And I've led them. Um, and a lot right. of it has to do with the fact that they come in and say, oh, well, we don't want to tell everyone participating what the problem is, what we're solving for. Wait till we get there. Then we'll do like a session in the morning and then we'll have a, you know, ideation session in the afternoon. Then the it's next day, feel, we'll it's a feel good, you know, have the employees feel good right. they're ideating. I, I always joked around. It's like how many freaking workshops you can have on new business models where the whole pharma industry is stuck with the existing business model. Like, you know, just because you have 2,700 <laughs> right. workshops and new business models, how are you going to get that off the ground? What are you going to build? But isn't there a, Who are the people? Isn't there the, I think the secret here, though, there's a bit of a flaw in this whole thing, which is that like, OK, so you did slam poetry while you were in school, right? Like so. So you did poetry. So like, just take the best poet. You know, you know, you don't go to the doctor to get poetry. You know, like if people inside these companies are, you know, generally executing on a management challenge that's pretty well structured. 
And, and so their job is to manage something or, or bring it to the next stage or monitor. And they're usually incredibly intelligent, incredibly talented in their own ways. And, but idea generation is not what they're, so, you know, why would you go to them? Like, you know, you don't go to a non-poet for poetry, you know, you go to, you go to the poet. And, and so there's certain people that can generate ideas. Isn't there like this, now that might be because they're fundamentally creative, they have lack of constraints so they can see angles experience, whatever it is. Well, and the, the, and the, hurdle that I, the hurdle that I'm up against is that most people don't think they have bad ideas, right? I mean, ask <laughs> anybody, oh, my ideas are great, right? Like they're fantastic. Like I don't have an idea issue. I agree. <laughs> Hold on a sec. I'll, I'll show you a copy of the, uh, the, the book. Of the, uh... oh, our actual podcast <laughs> listeners will be a like, jealous, but they're going to have to come and watch the YouTube <laughs> Oh, it's backwards. Oh, nice. Oh, There's you the deliberate creativity. That's the book. You, re you already deliberately have a cover. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got a publisher. I've got a cover. I'm most of my way through. I've just been sidetracked a little bit because <laughs> of uh, launching well played and superhumans. But um... I, I want to be you when, when I grow up, Gautam. So, you know, <laughs> I, I, I kind of have this you know, with Jim. We have the uh, meticulously unproduced show. I have a very yeah. meticulously unproduced book. I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I'm what you're aspiring to, man. No, no way, man. So, anyway, getting, okay. Oh, C19. Uh, yeah, oh, it's yeah. all good. I, I was just looking at the time because we're doing this a little bit different time-wise. But um, uh, I, I'm, I'm the like, I can do this for a couple more hours, honestly. Um, this is great. I feel like I'm actually on a recorded podcast. I'm just having a conversation with you guys. Great. I, I, you I know, the feeling. I went that's... back. I've been binging some of your shows, which is great. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah, they're, they're okay. They're okay. They're awesome. <laughs> no, well, I, I I traditionally listen to a lot of like storytelling podcasts, just because that's the world I'm living in right now. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, it was great. I haven't listened to many of the um, of the digital health conversations that are happening. I mean, I've been working with Click and producing some of their articles and working on their behalf uh, for some things. Right. Other than that. Um, you know, usually we get it from being at conferences and right, uh, right, exactly. But what is it? Interaction. Like, what is the digital? Like, like it's it, it's like we got Dan, right? You know, we got Lisa Swona doing Tectonics. We got you know, we got Bolty Boy and you know, Help Two Point right? Um, Help what are the Excel, other ones? Don't forget. Hmm? Don't forget about Health Got Excel podcast. Come on, Marty would be upset. Yeah, of course. That that was coming to that Health Excel podcast. Um, and. You know, who like i mean is there, is there am i missing a whole universe of them i mean i've seen a lot of there's a lot of ted like the ted talks where they do that a lot of that stuff is that's not podcast though um there's a lot of health but, stuff tons but of I, health I think stuff. it's also getting to i think what dan mentioned last time it's like you know micro podcasting right like very specific right. niche topics that are you know not necessarily digital health anymore it's just health right like you know you got so many people and, and to Gautam's point, a lot of them are, you know, maybe not as fun as ours just because we're drinking and talking, but, you know, they're, they're interviews, they're guests, you know, and a host and right. to get to a specific topic, very structured generally. All right. Um, like us, like us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we knew exactly, how you, you know, call it unproduced podcast. Like, <laughs> let's just call it that was the best thing that, like, honestly, her, Emmy's contribution to this podcast is probably the most yeah. important. Yeah. Emmy is uh, Jim's wife. She, she's lived with an unproduced company builder for a lot of years. Yeah, <laughs> an, an unproduced human being. 
<laughs> poor thing poor thing oh man um so i'm i'm honestly like uh, i don't know any any parting wise words or 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 uh, any interesting story i know one actually can i just say uh, and I'm, i hope it's the same background where you and i when when we had like a facetime call or whatever we started talking about books and I, I found it was a fascinating fact and just goes to show um, wonderful Esther Dyson's kind of heart. So maybe you can tell that little story. Oh, about but the behind me? Yeah. Right there. Yeah. 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 That is. Um, so in 2004, uh, my, you know, how you have your childhood room in, in your parents' house. So my parents' right. house had a house fire. And somehow it started right outside my bedroom with a short-circuited um, electrical box. So all of my childhood books, and I'm a, an avid book collector. I'm literally sitting in a library in my home. Like that's, I, I, I love reading. That's all I do. Um, and I lost my entire collection of, of books. I mean, not to mention like my baseball cards, my coin collection, my comic books, like everything from childhood was gone. Um, right. And so uh, we were at a retreat together in, um, I, I wanna say it was in California or maybe it was Rhode Island too. But um, so Esther and I were just chatting and she's like, listen, I'm on the road 300 days of the year and uh, I've got a massive book collection in my apartment in New York. And at that time I was living in New York and um, she's like, well, why don't you swing by and pick up, um, I'll give you my entire library. So this wall of my library is wow. a combination of Esther Dyson's and her father, Freeman Dyson, who recently passed away, um, a collection wow. of books, which is just the most incredible. Amazing. I mean, she is one, like you'd think that her, you know, given her journalist uh, journalism background, that she would have a lot of things around, you know, news and science and technology. But I got to say, I mean, most of what's on her wall, I mean, there's a scattering of that, but most of it is actually fiction. Most of it is... Wow. is um, you know, so she's, she's a very well-versed uh, and well-read individual. Excellent. Well, on, on that note, um, you know, just I want to, you know, aside from telling our viewers and listeners to kind of hit that subscribe button, I, I'm still aiming for the Joe Rogan thing. I just keep saying it. But also check <laughs> out, um, you know, Gautam and, and teams wellplayed.health. Uh, I'm, I'm personally Great. super excited to actually start following, adding that in on Spotify, like looking forward to it. So. It was a pleasure, man. Excellent. This is great. Thanks for having me.